Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Hello, hello. How are you? So popped on, you know, five minutes early, so it's not a rush and a panic for me to get on in time. I actually don't know if I need my headphones anyways. Boom. All right. Excellent. Thank you. There's nothing for me to hear, so I don't know. (laughs) I don't need my headphones. All right. So we're going to, we'll give it a few minutes, let people filter in, and then we'll, um, then we'll do our talk. Daredevil. It's the, I'd say Daredevil's the best because I really do love Daredevil, but he's tied at number one with Swamp Thing, who I'll be talking about a lot today. (laughs) But those are my two dudes, Daredevil and Swamp Thing. So yeah, we're just going to do the... Iron Man is great. Iron Man's great. He's got a great... um origin story i don't know fully what it's like in the comics but i would think that it's similar to what it is in the movies except for in the past (laughs) um but no i do uh i do love me some iron man comics i'm really getting into them recently i started um when i was younger i read a lot of comics um but i didn't really grasp them and now that i'm older i have some friends that are pointing me in the right direction of some comics. And so it's, uh, I've been reading a lot of them, mostly daredevil and <laughs> swamp thing. So I've read some Batman, not a fan, not a huge fan, but that's a story for a different time. I've never read any star Trek comics. I'm sure they're awesome. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's a, uh, today's a, you know, a weird day being, 9-11 and everything like that. So I don't know who's like gearing up to, you know, watch. But I um, I genuinely don't know how long this talk is because, um, and I'll explain a little bit of it, but I start to get a little like second guessing myself so that I would be able to tie it all together. So I wrote more than I normally do. So like normally I just have bullet points and so having written it all out, there's more pages than I normally deal with, but it could be the same. So it could be really long, could be short. We'll play it by ear. I'm not going to keep everybody uh, too long. If it, if it develops into being something longer, then we'll do a, we'll do like a two parter. (laughs) Why? Thank you. Thank you. I try. It's a, but you never know. You never know until you're actually doing it. So thank you. Thank you. All right. So we're getting more people. We're getting more people. It just turned two o'clock. So we'll uh, give it a little bit of time. See who wanders in. We want to give people enough time to log on, see that it's that Jay's not talking and then sign off. <laughs> 
But I mean, I get it. Like if people sign on to hear Jay and it's not Jay, but, <laughs> but Hey, maybe they don't tune in. Maybe they go, oh, I'll just listen to the podcast of this one or watch it on YouTube. So who knows? Maybe, maybe they will uh, end up listening, even if they're not there. Oh, Hey, Zoe. Zoe, I'm excited. Cause you're a, you're a big swamp swamp thing fan, right? And we're going to be talking about Swamp Thing today. <laughs> and Jesus and Paul. Don't, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. You know what? Let's do it. We've been live for 10 minutes and we've been, it's five minutes past two. That gives people time so we could just take off. So, um, again, I, I said it a little earlier, but I will, um, it bears repeating. Everything's fine with Jay. Uh, there's a teacher strike in Seattle. And so since the kids have not been at school, um, it just threw off Jay's whole timeline of getting things done, preparing everything. So that is why I'm here today because I do not have kids. And um, if I did, I don't believe any of the schools here are striking. So I would not have that same problem. So I'm always glad to help out. And um but yeah, I asked, uh, so the, what Zoe just posted in chat was because I asked the question of in Canada, what is the feeling now that the queen has passed away? And so very, very interesting. So, all right. So, um, but even before I was asked to give a talk today, I had a, um, things just rattling around in my head. Um, again, I don't, I didn't know if they were linked, but they were just things I was struggling with. One, um, I've said it before and I'll say it hopefully not for years to come because the issue will be resolved, but I cannot stand the division, um, that's going on, especially in the United States. I'm sure that it's everywhere, but it's really, really amplified in the United States and I can't stand it. Um, Another thing, because I've been reading a lot of Swamp Thing, which I'll get into, I've been thinking a lot about humanity and the ability to see humanity in ourselves and others. And then the the last thing that was kind of rattling in my head was uh, about outrage culture, which I think is going on a lot these days. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about cancel culture, but I think that outrage culture is just as big of a topic because um, it is contributing to a lot of um, issues. So um, so I'm tired and frustrated and super angry all the time and I hate it, but I that all this stuff is just weighing weighing me down. And I feel like um, in general we're we're attacked on every front, right? Because as like human nature sadly is to form, tribes and divisions and everything from politics to sports to, you know, the example that Jesus gives in, um, Oh, Hey Jay. <laughs> um, so the example that, that Jesus gives in which, you know, a fisherman catches fish and then human nature goes into the net that did not separate or categorize fish. And then the human is taking and categorizing. So, it's in our nature to do that. 
but then also again um in other countries but mainly in america we only have like a two-party system and uh that in itself leads to division and tribalism and that team uh, mentality and so where we've always been struggling with that nowadays though is um the news media social media it um it, like agitates us it um we're all already heightened and then it just like agitates us and what it's been doing is um a lot of the politicians have been doubling down on this feeling of division and amplifying it and i'm actually not going to get too in the weeds in, into politics these are just examples um that i've experienced and there's um i'm not really going to dive deeper into these specifics but just you know say with um you know the current president is trying to do some student loan forgiveness for federal loans. And that is a topic I could go on forever about and um, about legal loan sharking and, and all that stuff. Um, but what I'm finding is that these politicians and, and people of power, it's not always a politician come on to media, social media, and their attack is on the people usually uh, they're attacking people on the other side of the aisle from them, but they're not attacking their colleagues or their coworkers because they're all they all work in the government. But instead, they're they're making fun of like citizens. They're saying like, "Oh, you're a lazy barista that can't put the bong down enough to get off the couch, and now we have to forgive your loan." Which I could go on forever about how that is not the reality of the situation. But what I'm saying is you have someone like Ted Cruz saying that about just us people. Like when, when the student loan stuff happened, I woke up one day and I found out about it on the news. I had no say in it, no anything. And so to have these politicians make everything like pointed at us. So now people that follow Ted Cruz or his, his party, his beliefs, now they're pointing their sights at us. And then we're pointing. So with say another controversial thing, like Roe v. Wade on both sides of the aisle, we're all pointing our crosshairs at individual people, not the people of power, not anything. And it's just getting down to this lower level of that. We have no power. We have no say, but yet it's just making this division bigger and broader. Um, and it's done in a way that it's just to make us at odds with each other. We see it with environmental um, climate stuff. We see it with, with pronouns, like everything they make an, an attack that's pointed at us and not at the lawmakers, not of people power, not of the, these politicians and their, their um, colleagues and, and everything like that. So um, that's where I'm at and I'm frustrated and so <laughs> in preparing this talk, my wife did have to step in and help me out because, um, as you could tell, just even from that little bit in my headspace that I get to, I could get very defeated, which leads me to be nihilistic. And so even when I have what I think is an uplifting message, it gets caught in that whirlwind of that defeatist nihilistic view of mine. And so I'll say something along like, 
Um, you know, what's the point of arguing? It's not like we have any power. We can't change anything. So my view is like, why are we arguing? We shouldn't be arguing. But the reason I'm saying this, cause like, it doesn't matter. We, who cares? We can't do anything anyways. And that is not the, the right mindset, even though the idea of us not being divided and not arguing is important. Like I have to find, a, I had to find a way to do it in a more uplifting way than my normal, um, <laughs> depressed go-to spiral. And so, um, she helped me rein in my thoughts and really come up with an organized idea for this talk. And so I kind of like reversed engineered it a little bit. So what I want more than anything is we need to stop being divided and we need to bridge the divide that's already there. That's like the end goal. That's like the, the, the top tier. Right. And so, um, but how do we do that? So to do that, we need to stop seeing the other, when we look at each other, we have to stop seeing enemies. We have to stop seeing the other, as we say in, in revolution, but how do we stop that? So, um, but to do that, we need to recognize, recognize each other's humanity, but how can we recognize each other's humanity? And that's that we have to search and find our own humanity because humanity sees humanity. Right. And so, um, we have to find it in ourselves so that we could see it in others. Um, but we can't see any of that humanity if we can't see past our outrage, right? When I was talking about outrage culture, because it blinds us. We get so blinded to a lot of things through our outrage and the culture of, of it that's uh, everywhere. It's social media, news, friends, family. Everyone's outraged all the time. And if you really think about it, very often we're outraged just for the sake of being outraged. So how could we then stop being outraged. Um, so in order to do this, we need to stop demanding perfection and we need to understand that it takes time to grow and change and that not everybody's on the same pace. There's no universal timeline for growth. Um, and we have to um, really kind of understand and question like what is a flaw? Like we see flaws in our others that we can't get past and we outrage. We see flaws in ourselves that pull us down. So we need to really um, dive into that. And so that's, that's what I, when I folk with my wife's help, I focused it into that, that talk. So if we want to um, bridge this divide, these are the steps that need to be taken. And um, so as always, uh, to illustrate some of these points, um, I'll be using examples that, that are also outside of the Bible. And I know that people might not love it, right? Like they, they come to revolution, which has like a biblical basis and they don't want to hear me talking about swamp thing or Batman or whatever, <laughs> star Wars. They want, they want, um, lessons from the Bible. But we have to um, remember that uh, storytelling uh, outside the Bible can give us uh, insight that the Bible tries to give us, but but can't. And that sounds weird or almost could sound blasphemous, but it's really not because it's an under understanding that Jesus also had, right? Because he would give a lesson 
and he would quote scripture. He would say, you've heard it said, blah, 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 blah. So he would give you the scripture and then he would go, what it's really like is, okay, so you have a sower and he's sowing seeds, right? So he always goes to a story. Now those stories to us are biblical stories, but to him, they were just stories that he was using to illustrate his point. And uh, in the Ken Burns documentary um, about baseball, someone, it's a former New York mayor is getting interviewed about why he loves baseball. And he says he loves the idea of the sacrifice bunt. He just loves it. He loves the idea of laying down a bunt and sacrificing your out to move the team along, to move players around the base to maybe score. And he said that it's laying yourself your yourself down for others, for the good of the team, for the good of the community. He says the Bible tried to teach you that, but didn't. But baseball taught you that. You know, so there is that mindset of we could take big biblical principles and then through exterior stories that aren't in the Bible, we could see these great ties to um, biblical teachings that because of the nature of the Bible, we get blind to sometimes. So I will be diving into some of that stuff. I just want to give a heads up. So we need to bridge the divide and stop othering each other. Um, but we can only do that through recognizing humanity uh, in ourselves and others. So to dive into discussing about humanity, that's where swamp thing comes in. <laughs> so um, for those of you that might not know or only remember the old movie or the old TV show from the 80s, Swamp Thing is a comic book. It's um, from DC. So it takes place in the same world as Batman and Superman and, and um, Green Lantern, Flash, etc. Um, but what happens with Swamp Thing is it has a very interesting story, like behind the scenes story in which Swamp Thing started out as just kind of a run-of-the-mill, almost like monster stories. You had a human that through an accident became a Swamp Thing, right? So um, just, I'm not even sure of the powers that Swamp Thing had at the time, but overall, the comic book started to not go well. And I believe it was um, in the 80s or maybe a little bit earlier, they were going to cancel Swamp Thing, and so what they did in one last ditch effort is they brought in um, a writer named Alan Moore to uh, kind of revamp it and see if he could save it. Now, Alan Moore has, he's um, a very great writer in general and a great comic book writer. He wrote Watchmen, um, V for Vendetta. So you could see he's very great and he's, he's like a step above normal comic books and he gets very heady right he gets very philosophy uh uh heavy in his his stuff so what ended up happening is he completely in his first issue that he took over completely rewrote what swamp thing is so instead of being a man that turned into a monster what we learn about swamp thing is that the man that he once was died completely and the consciousness and memories of that man seeped into the earth and then reformed as a humanoid type swamp creature. But that creature is not 
a human. He's not a former human is as Zoe wrote an earth elemental, right? So, um, the reason I bring that up is because it brings us into this really interesting thought process of what is a human, like what is humanity? Um, because Swamp Thing now has a physical form that resembles a man. He even has, um, and you know, organs, but instead of kidneys, it's literally like a potato shaped as a kidney, right? So like his body completely formed a human body, uh, but just has the consciousness and memories of the, his former self. So does that make him a human when we learn he's not a human? It's very, very interesting stuff. And uh, again, the reason I am so focused on this is because just like it fits perfect with this talk. Once Swamp Thing learns this about himself, because he just thought he was a man that turned into a monster. But when he learned about this new reality for him, he has the Swamp Thing creature has a, a vision slash nightmare in which he's dead and he is um, surrounded by some some creatures and a skeleton. And we learn that the skeleton in his dream represents his humanity. Um, so when looking at the skeleton, he's talking to the creatures that are feasting on this body. He goes, there's nothing left. And the creatures said, goes, we left you the best part. We left you the humanity. And so um, what Swamp Thing does is he takes his humanity in the form of a skeleton and starts running away. He's got to save his humanity. That's the only thing that matters to him is saving his, his humanity. And so, um, <laughs> and then he starts kind of a lot like uh, the movie Castaway. He starts talking how, how Tom Hanks has Wilson. Like he starts talking to the skeleton that represents his humanity. Um, and the skeleton go, um, and Swamp Thing goes, you keep nagging. Why should I carry you when you keep nagging me? And the skeleton goes, I know I'm a little beat up and battered, but I'm still worth the effort, aren't I? Right? And so that's something that we fall into also where our humanity gets bumped and bruised and it like nags at us a lot of times, but it's worth it, right? Um, and then the skeleton says, and this line is great. He goes, I am... I'm your humanity. I'm what keeps you going. And so you could see when I'm so focused on the idea of humanity and seeing it in others, why Swamp Thing, although it's a comic book, is this great source of like, like uh, getting us thinking and engaged in this concept. Um, sorry, I'm flipping back and forth. So I got to find my place of, of where I was. Um, so now that, Swamp Thing has his humanity, right? He saves his humanity, and now he's this elemental creature, but with with his humanity. Uh, he starts to approach things very differently. Um, he doesn't have your typical good guy, bad guy fights, because um, a lot like what Alan Moore explored in his character of Dr. Manhattan... Um, I gotta fix this. Sorry. Um, what he ex explored in um the character of Doctor Manhattan, uh, 
he does with Swamp Thing. Like, what do you do if you are like more than a man, more than a person? Like, how would you engage in in the like fighting bad guys? And so there are times where Swamp Thing will be fighting someone, and then they just kind of like stop and question why they're fighting, which I think is is tremendous. Um, he also uh, helps enemies, his enemies, quote unquote, see that they're really truly hurting themselves. Um, in one example, there was um, his one of his like go to arch en- enemies that that. Um, show up multiple times he was going to take out all the oxygen on the earth so that um or he's going to overload it with carbon dioxide i think that and so the humans suffocate and then plants and elements would would take over the earth and then um what um swamp thing then tells him is well you're you're trying to to do this and you're going to end up killing you know, everyone on the, in the world, but that includes you. So you would only be killing yourself. So he gets very almost like philosophical about it. And this is when the justice league tried to physically beat this enemy and couldn't. So Swamp Thing was just like, wait, you're trying to hurt everybody, but you're just hurting yourself in the end. And the bad guy had the realization and begrudgingly like um, leaves his plan. Another thing that happens is, um, he had now that he knows that he's a monster, quote unquote, with humanity inside. That's how he starts seeing other monsters and enemies. There's um, one issue in which he encounters um, a werewolf, and um, let me find the quote that I wrote down. So it's a, a werewolf, a woman um, turned into a werewolf, and she's lashing out. She's scared. She's angry, and so Swamp Thing encounters her in werewolf form and says uh, in her, as in me, the elemental um, energies are strong. We stare into each other's eyes and I understand I do not have the right or the authority to stay her hand, but only the necessity to do so. But this is not my place of power. So he sees this, this, this enemy that's um, like on a rampage and he sees the humanity in this werewolf. He sees past the monster, past the exterior and sees this enemy and goes like, I don't have any power to, to do anything, um, but I have to protect people. So his mission was not fighting this monster, but yet instead following her around and making sure that she doesn't hurt other people. And it was really, really interesting to see that he sees an enemy and looks past the enemy and just sees the humanity inside and how that changes him. And um, so all of this new knowledge that he has completely changes him. And there are times in which uh, again, there was a, an issue where he was fighting vampires. Cause again, it's comic books. So I know it sounds silly, but you could see where I'm going with this. He's fighting vampires and the vampires live underwater uh, in a city that was flooded previous issues that Swamp Thing might have flooded. I can't remember. But um, so they're living underwater because they're vampires. So they don't need oxygen. And down under the underwater is um, there's less light. Right. So they're fine. And then they come out at night and feast and, and go back. And so Swamp Thing 
goes to fight these vampires in the way that he knows, the human way to fight, and he can't do it. And then it occurs to him. Um, again, let me. I wrote another quote down. Just it was. Um, oh, so I'm sorry. So some of the the bad guys he's fighting, they notice how much he's changed, and they're like, "What? What happened last time we fought? You couldn't hurt me." And he says, you have never encountered me before. This is our first battle. Because to him, he's something completely different. He's got a new knowledge. He's got a new wisdom, new way of life, a new outlook. So he is not approaching them in the same way um, as he was before. And um, so when he's fighting these underwater vampires, it sounds so silly, I know. Um, he goes, my body is not strong enough to withstand the creature's assault. But it is my own fault. I am too human in the way I think, in the way I fight. I must learn to exploit the possibility of what I am. And that's like, that's the thesis for this whole talk <laughs> is that we're, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about the narrow path and what we're called to be. Um, but we, that's the way we have to learn how to fight, quote unquote. You know, we have to see um, and um, see who we are and exploit the possibilities of what we are. And um, a great imagery in that fight is in order to beat the underwater vampires, he dissolves himself, right? Because he's like, wait, why am I fighting like a human? I'm an element now. Dissolves himself into the earth and then lifts up the sunken city so that all the water drains out. And so the so what we're seeing there is in this new state that he's in he took the low valley and raised it up right he made the valley the low valleys high and um it is such great imagery that i think that we can um use for ourselves and i'm going to dive into one more issue of swamp thing that i think is one of the best stories I've ever read like it's even though it's a comic book it is masterful it's great in this this issue Swamp Thing learns that one of his enemies in an act of revenge ripped the soul out of a woman that Swamp Thing loved and banished her to hell unjustly right she didn't she didn't even like die what killed her was the person ripping her soul out and sending it to hell. It wasn't like of its own natural courses. Um, and so Swamp Thing like is really coming to grips with this power and trying to figure out if he could save this, this woman. And so what he decides to try is he dissolves his body into the earth, gets absorbed by the earth, and then keeps sinking down. Basically, he's sending himself to hell by dissolving his body to try to save the woman he loves, which is it's just awesome in general. The idea of like the woman you love or the person you love, I'm sorry, is um taken from you or they die. And so you like journey into death itself to save them. Great. Um, but there's one really poignant part in which as he's sinking down into the earth, he gets to this place that's really comforting and really peaceful 
and he really just wants to stay there. He almost gives up on his mission because of how he's feeling. And, um, but instead he pushes through because he's got something, um, more important to do. And so by pushing through, he gets to a place where he gets to experience both heaven and hell. And now the, the view of hell is very much, um, you know, what dreams may come very pretty to the extent that, um, even a flower from heaven brought into hell makes hell that much worse because they could see the beauty of the flower. And so it's, it's like, it's great thinking, but, um, Alan Moore describes this, um, this heaven very similar to how Paul describes heaven, um, as a, as seeing through a mirror darkly, right. Or seeing through a dark glass distorted maybe by water that our view of heaven is, is like that. It's, we get a broad idea, but not the right, the full on, um, picture. And so the quote that I left from that is he has seen, but a few jigsaw fragments of a design that spreads outward forever. And so, um, it's great. And then again, very relevant to, to this, if, if you're following along and I'm not jumping around too much, we learn that when they go into hell, um, Swamp Thing goes, God made this. And the person that's leading him through hell, like his fellow journeyman says, um, like God didn't create hell. Like God, God didn't create this hell man did, which is great. Cause as I was writing this, I watched Rambo first blood and he says, you know, that, um, God, God didn't make Rambo. I made him, <laughs> but it's like, but the idea that hell is of our own making love it. So again, when I talk about his ability to see past the outward appearance of an enemy or another, and how sometimes in fighting they will um, like join forces um, or the fight gets resolved. Um, sorry, I lost my place. I'll edit this out for the podcast. Um Oh, so, so in his quest, he gets aided by, um, a demon, but a demon that he once fought on earth, but midway through the fight, they found a more dangerous enemy and the two of them teamed up and defeated that enemy. So it was, it's very interesting that, that Swamp Thing was fighting an enemy, but sees the humanity and it sees that it fighting is just not what he's meant to do anymore. And then when there was something bigger that they couldn't be divided on, they teamed up and defeated that. And now issues later, when Swamp Thing's journeying through hell to save the woman that he loves, he's aided by the same former enemy. It's great. It is so great. Um, so as you could probably see when I'm thinking about humanity, why I would be so drawn to this, um, because I see a lot of our struggles in this. So um, because the way that that I look at it, and I'm sure um, you look at it and Jay looks at it, is that if we choose to follow Jesus's teachings, we find ourselves on a narrow path, right? It's harder. It's often more frustrating. Um, and at times 
we probably feel like Swamp Thing where he just wants to stay in that comfort zone of like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to sink where it's hard. I don't want to go where it's hard. This is so nice and comfortable. But for us, that's like, no, it's so comfortable to just be petty. It's so comfortable to just lash out at people. It's like, it's not like comfortable, but it's our, like closer to our natural state. So so rising above it is just exhausting. And so it's a similar idea of the thing with um, with Swamp Thing, except for he was sinking down and we're like raising up. But it's that same thing in which we have to get through our, yeah, that, that easier, more comforting way of life in which we're just petty and spiteful and just really give in to our human nature. Um, and so that's what registered. Uh, resonated with me when when Swamp Thing like pushed through that where he's like oh man I would love to just stay here but I got more important things to do I don't know why I'm so thirsty today guys so um so just like Swamp Thing in order to stop seeing others as monsters um we have to see ourselves in them right so with that werewolf Swamp Thing is seeing like no there's humanity in there it's there's no it's no more different than what I am and um, this is a funny story that I heard. So it's a secondhand story. Um, and I'm just saying it as it is. This There's no like um, cheap shot at a political stance or a party. It's just the imagery was just very funny to me that um, there was a lifelong, I believe they were a libertarian and they're very advocate, um, like very zealous about it. And then one day they took mushrooms and realized that other people have feelings and feel the same way that they do. And then like became a, like a left leaning, like because of it, because they, they just were not um, able to, to grasp that and drugs help. But it's just the, the reason I bring that up besides it being pretty funny is um, that it was the same swamp thing esque path in which um, that person needed to see themselves in someone else in order to fully get the other person's story. So, um, but in that same vein, um, you know, jokes aside about, you know, <laughs> mushrooms and everything like that is in order to see humanity, uh, in others, um, and see ourselves in others, we need to stop expecting perfection from others. Um, because expecting perfection uh, leads to to the outrage culture, and that that outrage um, just blinds us so so strongly. Uh, two examples I have of this again: um, it's the the example is of a political nature, but I truly am not going to dive into it. It's just you'll see why I'm bringing it up. But I saw a clip, and I'm sure we can't trust clips anyways, cause they could be out of context and everything, but of a, it was discussing Roe v. Wade. And this one Senator was really making some very valid points. If I remember correctly, they weren't even that angry. They were just saying about like protecting kids, protecting kids that are victims of abuse. And, you know, with, with these total bans that you have these 10 year old girls that are forced to, to go through this stuff. And it's really, it's just heartbreaking stuff. And he was really talking about, um, you know, it was questioning others in, if they've thought of that, like, what do they have to think about that? If we're wanting to protect 
kids and then we're forcing kids to do that. And great points, but the whole time he was doing the politician thing, right? Because someone studied that a fist is obviously bad. Pointing is bad. So they do this, this thing, right? I think it might've started with Bill Clinton, like they, the, this gesture. And so all the comments were like, Oh, I like what he's saying, but I really wish he wouldn't hold his hand like that. It looks so stupid. I'm so distracted by his hand and Oh God, I can't stand how politicians hold their hand like that. And I was just like, you know, everyone was so quick to be outraged by this like flaw, quote unquote, of just how he held his hands that everything he was saying, they were blind to because they were just so annoyed that he held his hand in a certain way that they didn't like. And it was such a weird takeaway for me, but that's kind of what got me thinking about this outrage culture that we're in. And another example, and uh, this is um, a slight spoiler. If you haven't watched the Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney plus series, you know, you could plug your ears for, I don't know, three minutes, but there's a, a, um, a character that's in the cartoons and the cartoons take place after the show happens, right? In the timeline, it's later on. And so there's a, a character called the grand inquisitor that's in the cartoons that take place, um, after the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And in the second episode of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, that grand inquisitor, you see him get stabbed with the lightsaber, fall down, and presumed dead. Now, I was getting texts from people that were like, I can't stand what Disney is doing, or Kathleen Kennedy, she's ruining everything. She went um, against canon to, to kill that person, just for what? Just so she could have a powerful female character, right? It was just spinning out of control. And the whole time I was just thinking like how blinded they are by this outrage that they were just like hunting to be outraged at, because if the cartoon takes place in the future and that character's in it, then clearly that character's not dead in the show. You know, it's the second episode of six episodes but they couldn't even like think that they would be coming back. It was just, they were like, I can't believe Disney and Kathleen Kennedy did this. And they were so angry. It was like, wow, we really do get blinded by this, by this outrage. Um, and so when we um, allow ourselves to fall victim to this and we're so blinded that everything just gets amplified, there are flaws that get taken out of context and they get magnified and a great example of this is um one of my two of my favorite dudes so we have joseph of arimathea and we have nicodemus they're both high high on the council they're jewish leaders pharisees um and they're often criticized as like being cowards because they followed jesus in secret they were not um they didn't follow him boldly like everybody else did. And they are really kind of looked down at um, or like, like they're ashamed. And then comes time that Jesus is crucified and he's crucified and he dies on the cross and no one's there. None of the followers that are there, no one that was probably 
talking trash about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were there. But who were there? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were there. And what they do is they, the Bible says, they go boldly to Pilate and say, um, we're taking the body down off the cross. Uh, it, to leave him on the cross the, completely um, goes against our beliefs and our religion. So here's the money and we're going to do it. You know, so it's like um, they were seen as cowards, but when their time came, they were able to do what no one else was able to do. And they did it boldly and they weren't ashamed. And um, so, so that's what happens is there's, there's like quote unquote flaws that people think they see or things that they just don't like about it. And because they were so blinded by outrage, it, they can't see past that, you know? Um, and even it's, it's funny because even in with the Bible constantly teaching us that Jesus uses flawed people and makes heroes out of them, often using what their flaw is, right? So he goes to Moses, go talk to Pharaoh. You're going to be my mouthpiece. And Moses is like, uh, I have a speech impediment. I like stutter. I am not the mouthpiece. And he's like, no, you're the mouthpiece. Go, go do it like that. So he uses you know, a stuttering man as his mouthpiece of to command power and free, free, um, free the slaves from Egypt. Same with Gideon. When, when, when God finds Gideon, he's hiding, he's doing his work. I believe it's at night while hiding because he's so scared and God's like, no, you're going to be a great warrior. So, you know, so, um, that is our, we see how God uses people and, and uplift, uplifts them and what their flaw is, is not really a flaw. And a lot of stuff um, that, that happens say with Joseph of Arimathea and uh, Nicodemus is they're judged before their time came. Right. Uh, and we, we do that today um, with our outrage culture and cancel culture is we're not allowing the stories to play out. Um, so you know, not everybody's on the same timeline. And we know this because Jesus himself was constantly frequently said, um, no, it's not my time. Or when, you know, at the wedding for, uh, in Cana, like Mary's like, Hey, they're running out of wine. And he's like, well, it's, I, it's, it's not my time. I don't know. You know, or he'll send, um, disciples out to like, uh, a city or a festival and he'll say, no, it's, it's your time. Go. It's not my time yet. You know? So he does acknowledge that not everyone's on this universal timeline of learning and growing and with their experiences. Um, Cause there was a time um, that a young Joshua Murray at 18 years old was very much in line with the, the conservative Christian view of the LGBTQ community. Cause that's, I grew up in a church that, that preached that. And that's how I uh, was growing up. And then about 20 years ago, I, um, was at a Christian college, uh, summer school because I skipped church slash chapel too many times. So I had to stay there in summer that summer. I met, um, a man named Mark. Um, I knew him as his nickname was Sparky, but his real name is Mark. And I spent the whole summer with him 
just hanging out, being friends with no agenda. And Sparky um, was probably my first like gay friend, like true blue friend. And I spent the summer with, with him. And in doing so, you see with there, when there's no agenda, you see like, Oh, we're, we're the same. Like, why am I getting caught up on a detail of that? Doesn't matter. Like, what he what he's you know struggles with i struggle with just the details change what he's scared of i'm scared of you know so the um i like saw his humanity which i didn't know that i was blind to until i just really spent time and it it was completely life changing and now um you know 20 years later i'm so glad for for that experience because it really opened my eyes and taught me stuff that i wasn't wasn't learning. And so that we could see the danger with cancel culture or outrage culture of, of finishing a story before it happens. What happens if, um, I mean, I never was actively, I was never actively like against, um, homosexuals, like at all. It was just that typical, like being gay is a choice, like all that shenanigans. Right. So, um, but if I was, cut off before I could have that experience, how would I have grown? How would I have changed? It wouldn't have happened. Um, and so other people are on their own journey, on their own timeline. And we could see that more if we're not blinded by outrage, if we're not, um, if we could see their humanity. Um, <clears throat> so, but, and so through, practicing patience and seeing the humanity in ourselves and allowing it to be there. So we could see the humanity in others. Um, we could see that, see them where they're at. And, um, we could, um, we could learn, um, and we could teach better through relationships. Arguing doesn't do anything. You know, relationships is what really makes the impact. And this is something that Paul talks about in his letter uh, to the Corinthians. This is from first Corinthians. Um, but the background is he's working as a tradesman, right? I believe he was making tents and he was doing that to make a living for himself. And he was given, he was experiencing a lot of grief because the apostles and disciples at the time were, I'm not saying they're like celebrities, but maybe kind of like, diplomat type status in which they didn't have to pay for things. They would go to a temple, the temple would feed them. They didn't have, they always had a place to stay. And it's something that Jesus did encourage. Like, no, if you're doing these things in my name, you know, if they're, when you're offered food, take it, you will be offered food. You'll be offered um, housing, take it. And, um, but Paul didn't do this. He wanted to make his own living. Um, and it's because he wanted to be like, what he says, I don't know how it translates exactly, but he wants to be the, a slave to all, right? He wants to be lower than everybody and serving everybody and helping everybody. So, um, so to do that, he shed those higher, um, th those higher principles and ideals of free food and all that stuff. He's like, no, I'm going to be a common people because I want to be lowly. I want to serve everybody. And so in doing that, he um, he treated his own humanity the way an athlete prepares for the Olympics or as he says, um, 
how like a, a boxer trains for a fight, but he was saying that he's, he's all in on this. He's not shadow boxing. He's fighting. He's training as if he's going to fight a real opponent, but he's talking about this metaphorically about his, his humanity and his practice of love. Um, and, and seeing people where they are and, um, where they're at and, and who they are. So he had the desire to become all things to all people, right? So if he wants to be weak when people are weak, like be weak with them when they're weak, he wants to be strong with the strong. If he's around people that follow the law, then he behaves in such a way um, that he follows the law too. Um, so he's, and by doing that, he's, he's meeting everybody on their, their level, right? Their humanity is, is eye to eye. Um, and another reason he did this, it seems is because of what we also often talk about in, um, in revolution. And that is the, the dangers of legalism. And, uh, Jesus talks about, about it. Um, uh, Peter talks about it, right? Like the Pharisees, like hold us to the standard that even our ancestors couldn't, uh, live up to. And, um, and Jesus says to the Pharisees, like, no, you, you teach these lessons that you think are right. And in doing so, you make your students and your converts twice as fit for hell as you are. And, um, one time while at the, the temple, Jesus was saying, um, you know, you're so legalistic and you're, you're threatening me. You want to kill me because I healed someone on the Sabbath, but you guys work on the Sabbath too. And there are, you know, people are like, what? He goes, if the day of your son's circumcision comes to be, and you have to circumcise him on his day, I don't know what it's called, but it would be akin to like a birthday type thing. There's a day for it. If that day falls on the Sabbath, you still circumcise your son, right? So it's a put that to them in which you have two laws of Moses that are fighting against each other, right? The about circumcision and about um, not doing anything on the Sabbath. And he goes, no, of course you do circumcise. Like you, you do it. So why are you um, attacking me? And so that's kind of um, not pointing out like hypocrisy, but um, pointing out the, the dangers of legalism is you get like trapped into, into those corners. Um, and Paul expands on that by saying that um, he says in Corinthians, he goes, if you think you know something, you don't know anything, right? So um, Buddha says it, and my favorite, Op Ivy, uh, the punk band says, uh, all I know is that I don't know. And so that's similar. He's like, you think you know, but you don't know anything. He says, knowledge puffs you up, right? What, what, that's what knowledge is good for. It makes you feel arrogant. It makes you feel proud. He says, but love builds. So, you know, knowledge puffs you up, but love builds. And that's where we're trying to go in revolution and in our lives. Um, and the, the, another warning that uh, Paul gives is that along the lines of, you know, if you think you know something, you don't. So he's saying is you have this knowledge that you teach this legalistic knowledge, but what if you're, wrong. And like going back to my example of Jesus in the temple, Jesus saying like, no, you're saying you can never do anything on the Sabbath. And then, you know, your, your son needs to be circumcised. So 
like what happens? You know, what what happens if your knowledge is wrong and that's what you're teaching everybody, hence making them twice as fit for hell. Um, and so Paul is trying to warn people of that knowledge because he's also saying that you have this knowledge that you're teaching people, but not everybody is as strong-minded as um as others. So, you know, having the feeling, you know, the the knowledge of from the Bible and revolution of grace and mercy and compassion and humanity, you know, I will give, you know, if me and so we're talking, I'll give them maybe advice that I couldn't give to someone else because means I'll have an, un an understanding of topics that might be out of the reach of uh, other, other people. And that's not a, a bragging way. It's just, you know, having studied it and everything. So I can't give this universal advice because that's what, what Paul runs into, right? He gives advice on how to treat someone in the church, but the people in Corinth weren't able to process what he said and they went too far. And he's like, okay, all right, undo, 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 control Z. Right. And um, so that's a warning that, that he gives us. And he shows us that, um, that in an example too, when people, I guess he's gotten questioned on women in leadership and, you know, this, this is a kind of um, a bittersweet topic for me because growing up in a conservative um, church, as you could tell, I always kind of, even when I was like in line with what they were teaching at the time, I always kind of was not an outcast, but I was never fully there. And I always wore hats like I always do. And so I was constantly getting talked at about men can't wear hats in church. And so that's why this topic is, it's been used against me forever. So it's really nice to um, get this, this uh, view of it. So, you know, there Paul's talking about like, yeah, no men shouldn't cover their, their heads, but women should, but women have hair that cover their heads. So it goes, um, so I, I know what the scripture says and he goes, there is a hierarchy. <laughs> he goes, you know, there's, uh, there's God, and then there's Christ, then there's man, then there's woman, right? Like that's how he, he does it. And he's got, he's got a rationale for it. And, but then he goes, you know, as he goes, oh, cause like woman came from man, God created man and then created woman from man. He goes, but then women give birth to men. So I, he goes, I leave it to your judgment on how you want to handle this situation. Because he knows that the um, that dangers of teaching the wrong thing, that legalistic view, and when approached with it, he goes, this is the precedent for it, but there's freedom in it. But also there's this gray area where, yeah, woman came from man, but then woman gives birth to men. So you know what? Handle it how you want. Teach it how you want. I'm not going to tell you my, my lessons on it. I just thought that was really great. Um, so basically... Um, he also says, you know, just do what you want. Just don't hurt others. Like don't harm others. And that's why he has that principle of he's, I eat meat. I eat meat sacrifice to the idols. I eat meat sacrifice in the temple. But if I'm eating with someone and they're offended by the meat that I'm eating, I'm just not going to eat it around them. Like, I'm just not going to do anything that's going to cause them pain and hurt. Um, and so 
to to close this up, so I guess it was a pretty on 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 course with the uh, with the time constraints. But I do want to touch really quick on the story of I say Uza, but it could be Uza. I don't know if it's a pronunciation or an accent thing, but I say Uza. Now Uza is a story that blows my mind because I can't. I wrestle with it. I can't wrap my head around it. Basically, what happens is King David is wants to move the Ark to the um, Jerusalem, I believe it is. Um, my cities are a little mixed up, but it, Jerusalem became the capital, I believe, and he wants the, the Ark of the Covenant, Covenant to go there. And so, you know, they um, get a brand new cart and they get um, an, the oxen to pull it and they put the Ark on the cart and the cart's going and they're all dancing and celebrating, um, hit some rocky ground. The cart starts to shake and Uzzah is like, Oh no, the Ark of the covenant is going to fall, catches it to keep it from falling. And then drops dead right then there. God kills him. And you're like, wait, what? Like he was trying to help. Like what, what happened? And then, uh, what you learn as you dive into it, um, is that there was a series of, qualifications for for moving the ark certain people had to do it um it wasn't put on a cart at all whether old or new it was carried um you know with designated poles by certain people on their shoulders and so in doing it the way they did even though he had the good intention of oh no like i don't want the ark to fall everything about it was corrupt and that's what happened I'm not saying that justifies it or um, uh, it's actually, sorry, Terry, the, um, the, this story of Uzzah is in second Samuel. And I believe in first current first Chronicles also. So, um, so in, in doing it the way they did, there was just a whole failure of things that happened in which there was no way out of the situation. There was no way that the where they found themselves, they couldn't get out of it. And it was because of so many things that came before them, a lot of stuff that was above them that didn't happen, um, carelessness and everything. And it backed them into a corner where trying to do the right thing, there was no answer, right? It's almost like a tro- the trolley problem. Um, and so the so Uza is um confronted with all right there's a whole like enemy tribe that died when the ark fell and was open and it just killed everybody that was there so i don't want that to happen so i'm going to catch it from falling right he there's no right thing that he could do um and either way he, he was pretty much going to die regardless of what he did and that i just am wondering um, I don't know if it's too much of a stretch to wonder if that's this kind of situation that we're finding ourselves in um, today in society with outrage culture, uh, cancel culture, political division, religious division, in which everything that came before us and all those shortcomings and all those veering off the path, you know, of Jesus once taught this, but then this you know, this person interpreted this and taught this way and this person taught this way. And it got to a place in which where 
what do we do? Like, how can we figure this out? If, if we keep the ark from falling, it kills us. You know, you know, if we try to protect God from crashing to the ground, it kills us. But if God crashes to the ground, then it kills everybody. And so, um, that's what I was wondering if it has a, a, a parallel to where we find ourselves, uh, in society, um, individually through, uh, you know, in revolution. So, you know, the only way, um, to change or fix and bridge and bridge this divide that we have is by finding the humanity in ourselves so that we could see it in others. Cause like I said, humanity sees humanity. Um, and so for the only way to do this is to look inward. Um, and you know, the, we talk about the narrow path and, and going to what, what Paul talks about is um, dying to himself, right? That's why he chooses to make tents rather than be um, praised as with the other dis the disciples and apostles. It even has people questioning whether he really is an apostle because um, he calls himself one, but everyone's like, I don't know, you're not acting like one. And so um, there is a dying um, to itself. And there's, um, to bring it back one more time to uh, our friend, swamp thing um there's a it's a quote it's it's out of context but the quote is just great so um someone uh an enemy is trying to kill somebody um it's not not trying to kill swamp thing trying to kill someone and they're saying like oh will there be pain will there be blood will there be all the stuff but then goes uh it doesn't matter if all that stuff's there the dying's all that matters and so um that's what, when we're talking about dying to ourselves. Um, so looking inwards and going through that comfort place to that narrow path, the harder path. Um, it's just, and dying to ourselves, it's it, everything else is details. The only, only the dying matters so, um, to die to ourselves. And so, um, so yeah, it seems the, the only way, I feel the only way out of this meth mess is through the narrow path. And um, in order to do that, there is a, a necessary dying of ourselves. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's where um, I'm at and I will read some of these comments. Thanks for sticking in there. Um, I don't, I think it went pretty well. I don't know. Uh, I just like talking about swamp thing. So, <laughs> so I'll take it. Um, so let me go see some of these comments. Sorry, let me see. For Swamp Thing, one of the most powerful creatures in fiction, to stop and see his enemy as a full being, he has to humble himself et um, eternally. Yeah. Oh, entirely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Ray said, do you think the only thing we could do is wait for the collapse of capitalism? I uh, About, I guess, the bridge, you know, the narrow path and the, the bridging the divide. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that there's any way to defeat it by fighting it. I don't, I don't know. I'm not truly, I'm like in a weird gray area. I'm definitely not a capitalist, um, but I don't know how far left I go. Um, but everything is broken. And I don't, I really don't know um, any sort of way out of it. To me, in America, it seems like the the country. Per, this is just personally. It feels like the country is dying, and instead of trying to fix it, 
everyone's just trying to make as much money as they can and loot the Titanic before it sinks. <laughs> That's how it feels to me. Um, so I, I really don't, don't know. Um, but let's see. Terry said, Moses, my favorite Bible person, except for maybe Jesus and or David, They're all great people. Um, which is great because only Jesus is the actual great person. Everyone else is kind of like a scummy, but that's what makes them great. Um, is that God uses them all the same. Um, so go. Um, so maybe I can make sure I don't have do the same thing. Maybe someone's reaching for the Ark of the Covenant instead of getting mad or uh, offing them, offending them. I can recognize, or I'm sorry, getting mad or offing them. I can recognize that they're doing their best. Hashtag justice for Uza. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, uh, <laughs> Zell liked my uh, Titanic uh, looting the Titanic metaphor. <laughs> So, um, yeah, if anyone has any other comments, um, there are other comments in the chat. I just, a lot of it was conversations between people, which is great. We encourage that. I just, um, didn't want to get into a thread of you know, reading dialogue. So, yeah, we won't stay on, uh, too much longer cause we're already 10 minutes over, but thank you guys so much for tuning in and sticking with me. And, um, anybody, if you have the hoopla app. H-O-O-P-L-A, Hoopla. The Saga of Swamp Thing, I believe that's what the run is called. It's about four or five volumes, and that's the one that um, Alan Moore did. Um, my only heads up with it is that the very first issue is um, of the Alan Moore run, the very first issue, must take place immediately after the previous issue with before Alan Moore came in. So it kind of starts you in the middle of action, which is kind of really great, but just keep that in mind in case you're like three or four pages in and you're like, I have no idea what's happening, who any of these people are just stick, stick with it. And then um, you'll see that those details take care of themselves. So, um, but the saga of swamp thing, it's by Alan Moore um, and they come in volumes. I think there's four or five. Um, I talked a lot about volumes one and two mostly. Um, so the stuff that I said would be in there. So uh, I believe in, in, um, in volume two. So this, the, the second collection, I think that's the, the where the story is of um, him sinking into hell to save people. So it's great. Um, oh yes, please. Um, if you could, um, donate to revolution We're we're really trying to get things moving and things are moving, but it just, you know, we have a, a leadership committee that we're, we're, we're working on, but trying to navigate uh, like getting everybody free at the same time is tricky. Um, and then we all get swallowed up by our, our whole lives, but there are things in the works there. There's good things, fun things, but, um, yeah, uh, eventually, hopefully maybe we'll get a physical building, um, and that would require money, but just in general, it does require money to keep revolution going. So anything you can help with, uh, that'd be great. You, uh, if you go to the revolution, uh, website, um, their revolution, I think it's just revolutionchurch.com, right? Um, there's a donate button, boom, right then and there, um, that just any help would be absolutely great. So, all right, everyone, thank you for, for hanging out. And, um, this was a fun talk. It's really good. <laughs> I'm just excited to, um, oh, yeah. And you could like, like videos, 
like uh, Instagram posts. You could save Instagram posts or send them to friends or post them on your story. Um, I don't know anything of the algorithm. I just know I see posts that that stuff helps. So doing that helps and it doesn't cost you anything. Like and subscribe. Oh, that <laughs> I sound like a YouTuber. Just like and subscribe. But uh, if you like and subscribe, that helps too because uh, I think if you get a certain amount of viewers, you can get um, different perks on i believe on um youtube so but um thank you very much everyone this was great uh thanks for letting me talk about all my favorite things uh which is the bible jesus paul and swamp thing <laughs> uh, i should have fit daredevil in oh that would have been that's some that's something else that's more for uh when we talk about mental health we'll talk about uh daredevil and why i love him but everyone uh take care and have a great um Sunday. I know it's a little bit of a heavy one, always with the anniversary of 9-11. But oh, Zoe mentioned, uh, they mentioned Constantine. There's a movie with Keanu Reeves, and I did not know that that character that he plays is from Swamp Thing. So um, Constantine's great. And uh, Constantine does a lot of um, symbolism with um, and iconography, is that the word? With religion. So it's it's all great stuff so thank you so much for letting me talk about this and i will catch you guys later thank you thank you again bye listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.